Welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual right and left, I have Paul Ducklin and Doug Ameth. And before I get to them, I'm going to quickly recommend Cobra Kai. I know, I'm so late to the game, but I'm hooked. I'm chugging through season one. If you even remotely enjoyed the original Karate Kid movies, I highly recommend. Uh, Doug Ameth. Lovely Doug Amis. Do you have a recommendation this week for our listeners? I do, Kim. Thank you. And this may be the most important recommendation I make in the history of this podcast. I implore everyone, nay, I insist that you pause this podcast right now. I don't care if you delete this episode and never come back. This is how important (laughs) it is. Don't do that. (laughs) Make sure you delete that bit. (laughs) Go to YouTube.com. And I know there's a lot of stuff on YouTube, but you need to watch one video. YouTube.com slash nasa n-a-s-a and in that account there is a video titled perseverance rovers descent and touchdown on mars it is three minutes and 26 seconds long if you can watch that and not feel something inside you are a robot and i feel bad for you (laughs) not to spoil it but they hooked up six high definition cameras and captured the landing and uploaded it from friggin fraggin mars and it's friggin glorious. Friggin Oh, man. Yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty dope. I and mean, you gotta. After you, you watch that, watch if, if you still have any interest, which you should, and I did, there's another video in that account called <laughs> See Mars Like Never Before! Exclamation point. It is a two hour press conference. So you're going to have to invest a little more time in it. But it's a panel of the people that worked on this uh, entire launch. And they go through all the technology, all the gadgets they oh, used, all the stuff that they did. Awesome. It's, it's great stories. So that's my recommendation. Pause right here. Delete the podcast if you must, but go watch no, the three minutes and 26 just seconds. Hit <laughs> just hit pause. Just hit pause. I I watched it live because it was perfectly timed here in in the early evening. Watched it live you know, on my phone, just sitting on the couch. And, you know, when they finally announced, you know, that they knew, you could see they all kind of knew it wasn't going to fail right at the end, but nobody wanted to move, and then they're ready to celebrate, and of course I mean, I would I would have just gone completely crazy but I guess right. because of coronavirus restrictions, you know, they're all they're all touching yeah, elbows yeah. and <laughs> it was so <laughs> subdued, but yet you could yes. just and all, everyone with masks, so you couldn't see the, the joy on their the mouths joy, the but their faces joy, were just yeah. like Whoa! <laughs> I felt exactly three things when I was watching that. One was oh. pride in humanity. Yes. Two was a little bit of adrenaline. And oh. three was the hot stinging welling up in my eyes. I did not cry, but I felt the stinging. Like I was about to cry. It was beautiful. So yeah. I implore oh, that you. That is beautiful. Yeah. That's my recommendation. Um, not trying to brag, humble brag, but I know a guy that works on that project at NASA's JPL. <gasps> he plugs in the coordinates to get it to where it 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 goes. Uh, oh, a la Mars. Um, my... Yeah. So not trying to brag, but um, I'm kind of important. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm not important at all, but I know a guy who is. Uh, it's very, very cool. He took us on a private tour. Um, Come a, on. A, a, a group of us, we went on a private tour through JPL, and it was 
amazing. Oh he's very, he's a very cool dude. Shout out to Rudy. Um, yeah. So Duck, do you have an indie band that you that that maybe you can play while you're watching the landing of Mars Perseverance? Actually, and um, this is completely coincidental. I didn't choose this band because of anything to do with the Mars rover, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> uh, I meant I was toying they're on my list i nearly chose them first up and then we had a space rock band last week and i figured okay i'll do these guys because i like to move around the world a bit i think last we've had uh, last week was germany now it's sweden and this band see if you can guess the genre of music they are called yuri gagarin and they play really excellent heavy slash swirly space rock uh, check him out on Bandcamp, Yuri Gagarin. I love this happy accident. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so right before we get into the headlines, I'm just going to quickly tease the oh no of the week. Um, this is like the one time where you wish the mouse wasn't plugged in. We'll get into it later. Um, Doug, what is happening? Okay, uh, we're going to talk about NVIDIA announcing official anti-crypto mining software drivers. I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot HDMI cable, if you know what I'm saying. The massive coronavirus IT blunder with a funny side. And Scam Club gang outed for exploiting iPhone browser bug to spew ads. But first, fun fact, and this is a theme... Matt Wallace, Perseverance Deputy Project Manager for NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, or JPL, tells the story of how the idea for the Perseverance cameras came to be. His daughter is a gymnast. She asked Dad for a GoPro, or a sports camera that she could wear. And he says, and I quote, And being the indulgent parent that I am, I got her the sports camera, and she put it into the harness that it came with, and she put the harness on, and she did a backflip. And I don't know about you, but I cannot do a backflip. But when she showed me the video and I watched the camera pan up to the ceiling and then the room go upside down and then somehow right itself as she landed on her feet, you know, I felt for a moment that I had a glimpse into what it would be like if I could do a backflip. And that was the moment that inspired a phone call to my friend Dave Gruel over here. And that's what led to this system, this entry, descent, and landing camera system we call the EDL cams. So he wanted wow. people to know what it would be like. He goes on to say, I'm at this point in my career, I'm probably never going to land a rover on Mars, but I wanted people to see what it would be like to land a rover on friggin' fraggin' Mars and then <laughs> send the video back through, the, so through cool. time and space. So that's our fun fact of the week. But let's get into NVIDIA announcing official anti-crypto mining software drivers. If you're looking at a two-circle Venn diagram of gamers and cryptocurrency miners, the overlapping section in the middle might be full of unhappy people, while those in the two main circles might be fine with this. And you, of course, have people who may not have a horse in the race at all, but they say, let me do what I want with the components I buy. So I can see Doug, this story. if anyone is going to mix metaphors on this podcast, it's going to be me. <laughs> Venn diagrams and horses? And yeah. then the horse jumps through the Venn diagram. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to drive it through the intersection. We still have time. Let's, let's give it some time. Anyway. Yeah. I see this ending in one of three ways, but let's get into the story first, Paul. Well, it it's kind of fascinating and has brought out lots of informed and some not-so-informed opinions. Um, basically, to hear NVIDIA tell it, and NVIDIA, of course, make specialised graphics cards that are great for doing high-speed graphics, whether you're gaming or doing video rendering, 
but also just happened because of the way they work, um, because of the, the way they can do calculations, to be very good for speeding up crypto mining. And NVIDIA apparently decided that they were tired every time they brought out a new gaming card, and all the gamers are, are, are edgy to get it, that the crypto miners come out and buy them all up because, you know, and then don't play games with them. They put them, they buy 20 at a time, whack them in computers and use them to mine various cryptocurrencies. So this time they've decided that they're going to produce the, is it the, 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 the new GeForce card is going to be uh, basically, if you like, reserved for gamers, because if you try and, if you try and use it for crypto mining, the software drivers will detect, in particular, that you are running the algorithm that does Ethereum mining, because it has a very weird pattern of accesses to memory that they claim they're able to detect. And it will let you crypto mine, but at half the normal speed. And their theory, <laughs> their theory is this will keep the, the crypto miners away from the graphics cards so that the gamers can buy those, and then they're going to do a separate range of cards called CMPs, which are the crypto mining processors, which are basically like GPUs, but without all the extra circuitry you actually need for the graphics, which of course go to waste when you're crypto mining on them. And this idea of, hey, we're going to sell you a product that could be used for two different things, and then our software is going to control which of those you're allowed to choose, has pleased some people and angered others, as you might imagine. Yeah, so some of the comments are like, what if I want to do both? Don't tell me what to do with my stuff. Um, this is good. Didn't you read the article? They're going to sell two different cards. Well, they still need components for two separate cards, so the supply is going to be cut in half anyway, all over the place. Yeah, well, it just quite the, the comments on that article are great go and read them even if you don't have an opinion yourself because it shows how sometimes i guess nvidia although they have a a checkered reputation with some people in the it community notably with open source for their rather closed source some would say closed minded way of allowing people to write their own drivers for their cards this is sort of taking it one step further but it does seem that the, I would suggest that the majority, or at least the most vocal of our commenters, I thought they would be all against it, but actually people are saying, no, I'm a gamer, and I would like to be able to buy one of these for my gaming at the high price they'll charge without having to like queue up and buy it from someone who managed to get stock just so they could flip it for a profit. And so people seem to be quite happy because they planned to use it for gaming anyway. And I guess NVIDIA's argument is that while some gamers may also be crypto miners, all gamers are gamers, and very few dedicated crypto miners are going to use their GPUs for playing games. So I can see where NVIDIA's coming from. But boy, talk about putting the, putting the cat among the mixed metaphor of pigeons. Oh, yes. And the horse <laughs> driving through yeah. the Wayfair. Um, I see this going one of three ways. Number one, and in, in order of uh, how likely I think they are to happen. One, I think people will figure out a way to bypass the anti-mining technology. And to be clear, it's not as simple as just loading a custom driver. The theory is that, and apparently NVIDIA have said this, or I've seen it reported on uh, you know, gaming sites, that it's kind of like the protection that Apple uses in an iPhone. You can you can make your own firmware if you want, 
uh, and you can upload it to the phone. Good luck getting it to the phone to accept it. In other words, it's it's not just, oh, well, we'll hack the driver and then it will be, because we've hacked the driver on Windows, for example, it would fail its digital signature. So then I'll have to boot my computer into a special mode to load the driver. It's not going to be that simple. Although you might need a hacked driver, that's easy to get around. Uh, you know, you just it, it means you need to boot specially when you want to game. But my understanding is there is some kind of firmware protocol that where they have this sort of blob of binary stuff that their card will accept uh, and you can't change. So, yeah, you're right. If I think there will be people now who, who might not be gamers at all, but who might see this as a fascinating challenge. Yeah, just out of principle. Will, that will give them, yeah, principle slash interest slash, hey, the gamers will love me forever. Uh, on the other hand, if enough gamers go, you know, this is brilliant. I've got the card that I really wanted and the crypto miners haven't drained the market and they've got their own cards they can go and buy. Um, maybe everyone will go, you know what, It's maybe it's a battle not worth fighting. I don't know, but it's fascinating to find out. <laughs> that's a great segue because that's what I th- the second most likely thing to happen, I think, is that nothing happens. The two cards are sold and that's that. And people who are upset begrudgingly finally make peace with the halved hash rate and they still crypto mine in their spare time even though it's half the speed or they buy the second card as well and third which i don't think is too likely but i think nvidia should consider as a business not saying that this is going to make people happy but nvidia could offer a tesla like upgrade like tesla does that unlocks the mining (laughs) technology much like tesla offers an upgrade on certain cars to give you greater range and additional features so if nvidia is smart they roll out the upgrade program after they're sure there's not a run on these cards and they offer to unlock it for a modest fee, that's going to be key there, say like 10% of the card's selling price or some sort of formula. So if these cards range between like $400 and $1,000, depending on the specs, maybe if you have a lower end card, it's 40 bucks. If you have a higher end card, it's 100 bucks to unlock the full crypto mining technology. Doug, don't you think that if if your third option comes to pass then that will actually automatically cause the first option to come to pass because then there'll actually be a real financial incentive for somebody to produce their own uh, third-party driver that does not cost the extra money because presumably unlike a tesla you won't have to take this thing back for a service yeah that or people figure out how to bypass it and option one it forces option three's hand and could do nothing and be just like okay you guys figured it out it's void your warranty but if they're smart they'll say okay this people are figuring this out they're about to figure it out or they figured it out let's offer an easier upgrade path for people who aren't maybe aren't quite as technical but just have money to burn and want to do cryptocurrency mining so i think this eventually sorts itself out and it but it's 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 going to take a securitist route it's interesting how much angst it seems to have caused though as though this was something new but you know you think of things like wireless cards there are plenty of wireless cards out there that are friendly to the open source community where the specs are published and open source drivers exist and there are ones that don't where you're basically stuck with the firmware that the vendor wants you to use in exactly the same you buy one of supposedly the great open cheap cool almost free computers of recent times that techies love the raspberry pi series and 
their firmware is all locked. You have to go with the, the firmware blobs that come with it. And then once you've got those in place, well, then you can run Linux on top of it. So I think this idea of, you know, we'll, we'll decide what you can do uh, is more the rule than the exception these days. Uh, every iPhone ever made has certainly tried to go down that route. And uh, a significant proportion of Android phones either have gone down that route explicitly or implicitly because you know if you if you do try and unlock them and use them for what you want you maybe don't get the full power out of the thing anyway so it's it'd be interesting to see how it pans out because of course nvidia's claim is well we've now got these two products and actually because we're making the crypto mining ones which don't have the we need this for graphics so i presume like all the stuff that gives you an hdmi out is missing they said they should you should be able to pack them together much more densely they won't need as much cooling they'll be cheaper mm. to run and you can pack more of them into a computer which is of course exactly what a crypto miner wants we'll keep an eye on that that'll be interesting to watch i bet you there's a follow-up article at some point in the not too distant future but this one is called nvidia announces official anti-crypto mining software drivers on nakedsecurity.sophos.com now we move along to technology etymology and guess what we're talking about today perseverance NASA's Mars rover was so named thanks to 7th grader Alex Mather of Virginia. Alex submitted the name to NASA's Name the Rover essay contest, and it was selected out of 28,000 entries from school-aged wow. children all across the U.S. Says Alex, this was a chance to help the agency that put humans on the moon and will soon do it again. This Mars rover will help pave the way for human presence there, and I wanted to try and help in any way I could. Refusal of the challenge was not an option. Good for you, Alex Mather. Thank you, buddy. Great name. Perseverance. It is a great name. So that is your tech term of the week. Perseverance. <laughs> I love how this uh, podcast is slowly just becoming the Perseverance podcast, but I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. Every every yeah. so often when one of these events occurs, I get obsessed with it for like a week or two. And my wife is like, what is wrong with you? And then I move <laughs> on to like trying to find a PlayStation, which well, I, I, so I think <laughs> I'd like to think I brought some balance to it by yeah. inadvertently mentioning a band that's named after a cosmonaut and the first human <laughs> in space, I think. Um, but oh, yeah, there you yeah. go. It was a real diversion. Yeah, and wait till we get to the oh no. We we're all high on uh, joy and stuff right now, but after the <laughs> oh no, we'll be right back down where we need to be. Don't get, yeah, don't give anything away. Okay, I won't. Um, <laughs> uh, so our next story, this one's a really funny one. Um, I laughed out loud. <laughs> I know what this, this is going to be. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Duck's already I laughing. I can't See, stop it. Hopefully you will enjoy this as much as we have. So journalist Liam Thorpe, who writes for the Liverpool Echo in England, recently published an amusing story that he subtitled, Hilarious Mix-Up May Have Highlighted a Potential Issue with the Vaccine Rollout. So he noticed um, that he didn't have to say which vaccine, did he? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. We, we, yeah, we, I think we can uh, make yeah. the assumption that we're talking about COVID, um, COVID nineteen. So uh, Liam is on a notification list about when he can receive his vaccine. He receives a text message inviting him for his first coronavirus vaccine shot on account of his quote unquote excess weight, which 
surprises him because uh, if you watch this very uh, funny video that he attaches to his article, he uh, he's like, you know, I understand I've got a few pounds going, uh, but, you know, ex- excess weight, uh, it surprised him uh, because right now in the UK, they are currently delivering vaccines in order of medical priority. And this guy, Liam, he's only 32 years old. He doesn't have any underlying health problems that he's aware of. Um, And certainly nothing on record that should have bumped him to the front of the queue. However, the mystery was unraveled the next day when his doctor phones him up, explains to him, yes, sorry, this indeed was a massive mistake. And duck, what do we mean by massive? <laughs> we, well, I think we mean it in the literal term. Or the, maybe the inverse literal sense. Well, <laughs> yeah. for better or for worse, the British medical profession, and I, I gather that you guys use this in North America as well, I cannot possibly think why, because I can't find any science in it, uh, uses a thing called BMI, body mass index, to decide whether you're not eating enough, you're about right, or you're overweight. And this is, crazily, it was invented about 200 years ago by some guy in Belgium, I think, who wanted a, a, a way that you could easily combine just weight and height, which are easy to measure, and get an, uh, an idea of whether the person was about right or not in their weight. And crazily, since volume goes by cubes, not by squares, you divide your body mass in kilograms by the square of your height in meters. Like, I don't, humans aren't flat, so squaring, <laughs> squaring your height is not a good estimate of your volume. Anyway, that's the measure they use. Whether it's meaningful or not is not relevant. What's important to know is that the highest, as far as I could find, the highest BMI ever known in the history of the world was it was a Saudi Arabian chap. He was once the second heaviest person ever recorded, just over 600 kgs. Uh, he's apparently got down to 68 kegs now, uh, which is about right for his height. But at the time that he was 600 kgs, his BMI was just a shade over 200. That's how big the number gets. And apparently, if you're over 40, the British medical profession thinks you're probably at sufficiently greater risk of coronavirus problems than anyone else that you get to jump the queue. 600 kgs, by the way, is 1,322 pounds. Thank you, Doug. I was going to interrupt wow. and say the same thing because I was like, wait, my I need to know goodness. how much that is because I can't do this math in my head. 1,300 pounds? Oh, my, oh God. my God. So, and that guy, wow. his BMI was 200. Now, Liam's was <laughs> 28,000. Oh and Liam. in his story, he recounts, he says, actually, I'm not, I, I'm reasonably tall. Uh, by Dutch standards, he wouldn't be tall, but by UK standards, he is. He's one meter eighty-eight. <laughs> And, you know, that's that's a, above male average height by a fair bit. And so if you do the, cal- the BMI calculation backwards, for him to have a BMI of 28,000, he would have to weigh 98,900 kgs, which is just shy of 100 tons, which is about <laughs> as heavy as the average railway locomotive. So... 
he should not have been getting warnings about going in early for his coronavirus vaccine. He should have been warned to stay away from all road bridges anywhere in the country <laughs> for fear of collapsing them. And yes. so you think, how on earth... He's, so his BMI, he's like a 100 times more than 100 times heavier than the heaviest person ever recorded in history. Like, I think Guinness World Records will be quite excited by that. And you think, well, how can you get that figure? Well, it turns out that they actually had <laughs> they had him on record as being 6.2 centimetres tall, um, <laughs> which is, you know, part. Two, the best part of the two inches and a tiny little bit. And it turns out that as many people in... Even in Commonwealth countries that haven't used feet and inches for decades longer than Britain, people often talk about, still talk about, you know, I'm six foot two, which is one metre 88 in old money. And so someone had obviously figured, oh, well, I need to enter six foot two somehow. I don't know how to convert it to centimetres, so I'll just put in (laughs) 6.2. So he was on record as being 10 times smaller than the Guinness (laughs) World Record holder shortest living person so he broke the, he would he, he he was breaking the 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 guinness world record for smallest height by a several of records 10. broken it sounds yeah like. so this was this was literally and figuratively huge and you kind of think <laughs> okay and, and he was feeling guilty right he figured i don't see why i should jump the queue and that's why he was worried but he also wanted an explanation as why do they think that he's he, he's off the scale. Um, and, you know, it turns out it was obviously software that simply had not made any kind of rational decision about an input that was clearly dangerous. And you can see that the, the, the issue here is that this it kind of relates to the administration of drugs, right? In this case, it's a vaccine. He would have got it early. He's going to be offered it anyway, so no harm done. Somebody else might have had to wait a little bit longer. So if he'd gone for the vaccine, it wouldn't have ended badly. But imagine if this thing were, you know, applying an anaesthetic or giving him a sedative or something like that, and thought he was 98 tonnes, would have probably given him rather too much. And if it thought he was six centimetres tall um, and was trying to anaesthetise him, might not have knocked him out. So it could have been a terrible blunder, and it's a great reminder to programmers, when you get a value that just simply does not compute, it's not acceptable to accept it, but it's equally not acceptable. Just go, oh, well, I'll ignore that and I'll pretend it never happened. And we know that because when you do that in cybersecurity, like with malware attacks, for example, oh, that warning couldn't possibly be true. I'll ignore it. Well, it could be the crooks coming in. Or when you go, well, the system didn't tell me I couldn't do that. So I'll take it as a free pass to do whatever I want. So there's a little bit of a, there's a, little bit of a cybersecurity message uh, warning tied up in all of this. But he did find it funny, and it is. At, at six centimeters, too, he they'd probably need to develop a special syringe just to administer the vaccine. It'd be very dangerous for him to even go to the vaccine site because people might step on him or not see him. Like, there's so many things that could have gone wrong here, so I'm glad they sorted it out. Yeah. So it sounds like he's going to have to wait along with the rest of us until whenever it is much later in the year. But uh, no harm done, but you can see how this kind of thing where you, you, you get a reading that is trying to tell you something and because you don't understand what it's trying to tell you, you just kind of go with the flow. That's a very bad idea 
when it comes to data processing in general and to cybersecurity in particular. Mm-hmm. And stop using BMI. Come I on. know. Come on. Can we can we move on? Can we move on? Oh boy, Jude, that that's a that's a thing of its own. Apparently, you know what the solution is? There's an app for that. That's the latest thing that people want to do. Uh-oh. Apparently, there's they've got this app, and you take pictures of yourself from various angles, or you walk Uh-oh. around the camera, and then from the silhouette of your body, it kind of works out what your volume actually is. And then an even simpler way, some chap, I think in Oxford, has said, well, why don't we just split the difference? Cubing's too big and squaring's not enough. Let's raise to the power two and a half. So oh, that, right. is, <laughs> that's, that, that BMI thing is a whole nother debate <laughs> for, uh, yeah. another, oh. for another three podcast series. <laughs> we invested in a smart scale that like you step on oh. and it tells you like all these different, like 20 or 30 different things that are wrong with you. It's a real downer. <laughs> um, <laughs> So you could do that too. It does. Can't it you does just take tell you your, your BMI. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a great saying. Uh, I wish I was as thin as when I first thought I was getting fat. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I feel you. Those were the I days. Feel that. A thousand ah. cheeseburgers ago. There's also the idea that <laughs> when the engine warning light comes on, buy some gaffer tape. Mm, yes. That story, if you want to check it out and you want to see the link to Liam's article and the very funny video, it's very short. It's like a minute. Uh, you can go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com and check out the massive coronavirus IT blender with a funny side. All right. Now let's talk about Scam Club Gang outed for exploiting iPhone browser bug to spew ads. And I'm looking at my notes here, my show notes. And for the intro, I wrote good. Paul? <laughs> Over to you. Yeah, this is a it's an ad company and admittedly, you know, that that they they want to sell you their ad management toolkit. Uh and what they they're they're called Comfiant. And what they were trying to do was measure what you know, how many dodgy ads were out there and what they were trying to do. And they found this they call them a gang, they dubbed them scam club because they tied a whole lot of bogus ads back to these guys and you know the kind of things i mean you know you're visiting a website and rather than a pop-up that says oh you need to phone us for tech support which is super devious these are the ones that they sell some middle line which is it's you know they're not actually trying to infect you with malware but they're trying to they're trying to trick you into handing over more and more and more data by promising you things you're probably not going to get like you know you could get a one thousand dollar gift card if you'll just come and take our survey and then our other survey and then our the survey about our survey and then take advantage of some of our special offers and so on and so on. And the interesting part of this is that, you know, we've all seen those and they're quite annoying. But it seems that the reason that, that these guys were particularly successful, particularly with iPhone users, is they had they basically figured out a admittedly modest bug in Safari, or more accurately in WebKit the rendering engine at the heart of Safari, that allowed them to pop up ads where Safari would otherwise have blocked them. Which, of course, is a problem if people have got used to the idea that, well, my browser is probably blocking the bad ones, then obviously these people can't be breaking the rules or their ad wouldn't have appeared. And yet it had, because they were deliberately, if you like, exploiting a vulnerability, not to implant malware, but just to do something that actually they jolly well knew they shouldn't so there's a whole sort of behavioral angle here and also that question that we've talked about before on the podcast of you know 
is it actually ever okay to participate in these surveys or do they ask for so much little bits of stuff here there and everywhere that it's kind of duty bound to end in tears and my theory is it is likely to end in tears and i would urge you to steer clear of online surveys and the fact that they pop up it doesn't mean that your browser meant to let them through which is the nasty thing here. We have an example in the in the article where I covered this on Naked Security. I've got a link to an older article we did uh, entitled Anatomy of a Free Gift, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes there, how online surveys can harm your digital health. And in there, we actually I actually have a, an, an, some animated graphics from one of these things showing you the kind of survey questions that they ask. And there are two problems to the survey. One is there are actually quite a lot of questions. And the other problem, it's rather sneaky, but you see why they do it, because it kind of makes the experience easier on a phone, is it only asks you one question at a time. So by the time you get to the one that you don't want to answer, because you think, golly, they've probed too far, you've already handed over data for the first two, three, six. There are nine questions in this. Mm -hmm. And each one of them kind of sounds okay on its own. For example, this one was, uh, are you a homeowner? Um, What sort of online games do you like? Do you have a bank account? Uh, How often do you use a credit card? How long ago was your previous purchase? How many children under 18 in your household? What's your employment status? So you're answering you to self-employed or employed. And then, amazingly, you have to give your credit rating a rating. And by then you're thinking, whoa, hang on a minute. Someone's going to be offering me loans in a minute, aren't they? And by then you're probably thinking, I wish I hadn't answered all the previous questions. And none of them sound terrifyingly bad, but somebody's got all of those answers tied to you. And if you do go through, then they go, well, there are these offers and there are there are 10 offers that you have to complete and you've got however many days or weeks to finish them off. And they all involve spending a bit of money. So the people, I'm calling call crooks running this scam, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be earning affiliate revenue from the stuff that you do buy. And if you finish all of those and you don't bail out at any point, oh, and by the way, you don't get to see the offers beforehand, um, then you might qualify to win the, admittedly high-value gift card, by which time, or to enter a draw to win it, by which time, of course, they've made more than that much money out of you through the affiliate fees. So it kind of like you feel like you can't lose, but even if you don't, the people you're giving this data to have certainly won, even though each little step sounds kind of innocent and unimportant. It's the, it's the, the total grab bag of everything that matters here. So you shouldn't fall for these, but I've noticed that some of them, if you kind of think, you know what, I've filled in surveys before and it kind of ended quite well, I can see why people, you know, why you might go, it seems worth it. And the obvious kind of survey that people do fill in and they do sort of feel that they've won, you know, those that are comparatively innocent where you you know you order something from a from a from a, a, an online shop and then after it arrives you say do you mind doing a survey and rating our service and they go did was the Kura company on time did they deliver did they leave the parcel where they said they would do you have any suggestions that kind of thing and we'll give you five bucks or free delivery on your next purchase you kind of feel what's not to like about that 
I'd probably have answered those questions anyway if they'd asked nicely enough. So there is this feeling that online surveys don't always end in tears. It's just that these, you know, they just draw you in a bit and then a bit more and a bit more. And I think there are a lot of people out there who think, you know what, it's kind of like, I've started, so I'll finish. And it's really important mm-hmm. that if you do go in for one of these, and at some, even though you've answered some of the questions, when they get to the bit that isn't saying, you know, do you like to buy online? And you go, yes. And then it goes, have you bought online within the last week? Yes. What is your date of birth? Whoa! <laughs> You know, don't go, oh, there's only one question to go before I get my $100 in cash. It's never too late to bail. And the last thing is, it's if you are a marketing company and you find that there is a way that you can do stuff in a browser that you kind of think or your developers say, I'm really surprised that worked. It must be a bug in the browser. And you think, well, what a happen, what a, what a happy circumstance don't go through with it because in many jurisdictions it isn't legal to to use a misfeature or a bug or an exploit to achieve you don't have to be a malware implanter to get into trouble it happened to google and that was something like 10 years ago with setting cookies in safari that they weren't supposed to and they ended up paying a uh you know tens of millions of dollars in fines um so don't be tempted to do something just because the system will let you if you jolly well know you're not supposed to do it, don't do it because A, people will hate you, and B, the regulators may come after you with good cause. Tough but fair. Good advice. Scam Club gang outed for exploiting iPhone browser bug to spew ads. My side note, good. That's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And we have some good info on the Conti ransomware over on news.sophos.com. We have three articles. Evasive by nature kind of breaks it down, a day-to-day attack that our uh, MTR, our managed threat response team saw, and uh, some advice about what to expect when you've been hit with Conti ransomware. So those are three separate articles over on news.sophos.com if you're interested in reading up on Conti. Yeah, the, the, I always love the casebook one, the, the MTR ones. Obviously, I'm a, a malware researcher myself like to read how it works and find out what Sophos Labs is saying. The sysadmin side, that article is very useful because actually things you can do. But it's, you know, where the Marines went in, <laughs> that's the fun one. <laughs> you know, because they're, they're not just called in to investigate what happened afterwards, which they are doing. They have to find out what happened so they can stop it happening again. And they have to find in, under great pressure if the criminals that they, everyone now thinks they've kicked out have actually left behind some embers that are left behind to burst into flames again later you know backdoor accounts that could let them in or programs that aren't supposed to be there reconfigured settings that nobody's noticed yet so it's uh, it's quite a quite an exciting journey that those guys have never a dull moment yeah those mtr case books are very good info they're very interesting reads i personally as someone who's not that technical i like knowing like i don't know i guess seeing the inside of the operation it's also nice knowing that if you're stuck and you don't have the expertise or more likely the time that they'll come in and do it for you and then you Mm -hmm. can just read out read about it later (laughs) (laughs) yes this is a service that we do offer so we'll wade into Uh, the freezing water don't worry we'll go where (laughs) angels fear to tread and we'll tell you how it goes (laughs) Yeah, this one in particular uh, covers seven days of um, 
this attack and we we kind of get it cleaned up after day four but then there's another couple of days of kind of cleaning up and making sure that nothing else it's 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 a good it's a good read Ooh, all right is it that time oh boy i think it's that time not oh boy oh no <laughs> it's oh no well you sound cheery now <laughs> I know. Don't I know give it coming. away. Wait Don't give it. it away. You got to wait for it. All right, guys, prepare yourselves. Mentally prepare yourselves. Open up your hearts. Maybe have a tissue box next to you. Um, Turn down the Yuri Gagarin you. music. Yep. <laughs> we're, Too cheery. We're gonna, exactly. My loins are girded. I've girded my loins. <laughs> we are going to honor this story the best that we can. So, ate it all up, right? Circa 2006. <laughs> Unfortunate name. name for this story. Because yep. the, the eight's name. an eight, isn't it? Digit eight. It's a number okay. eight. Eight it all uprights circa 2006. Call comes in from one of our rural offices consisting of two employees. One of their two PCs will not turn on. Went through the usual troubleshooting steps. Is it plugged into a working outlet? Any lights or sounds? Nothing. I enjoy long drives through the countryside, so I decide to drive out there to take a look for myself a few days later with a spare PSU. First thing I notice is dust. A ton of dust. That and a few expansion slots are missing the slot protectors. So, figuring the first step is to get rid of the dust that's no doubt piled up inside the case, I place it on the desk and open that sucker up. That's when I spot the real problem. Uh, I think I found the issue. I managed to get out before starting to retch. There is a dead mouse, the animal, not the peripheral, inside the computer. <laughs> Let's clear that up. Oh, dear. No. Poor thing met its demise when it climbed through the expansion slot, and I'm assuming somehow fried itself in our PSU. Oh. I certainly did not want to waste a trip out there and leave the employee without a working PC, and he really wanted his PC and files to be saved. So a deal was struck. He would remove the dead mouse, and I would repair the computer. That the is smart thinking. Oh. <laughs> and I thought that you had to put those expansion slot the fillers in for for card for slots where you didn't have a card. Oh, I was better. always told you were supposed to put them in for air circulation to, to make the cooling work better. But actually, mm. now we know why. You shouldn't oh. have little holes in the back of your computer case. If only this was a sad one, but it would make me feel a little better if it was memorialized with a poem. I said I'd write a poem if we spoke about the mouse. Because it's such a tragic story when a rodent finds a house and it thinks it's hit the jackpot because it's safe and warm and dark. Yet it bites one tiny cable that goes bang and spits a spark that ends the tiny beastie's life. It meant no lasting harm, even though that fateful nibble meant the rodent bought the farm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So it's a little bit crass at the end. No, that's but, your best one. That's you know, it's real. It's, it's raw. I'm, I'm so, yeah. I feel sorry for the poor little critter. It must, oh, with all that dust to bury it, it must have thought, like, it doesn't get better than this. Mm. And look, free food. Yeah. Nice and warm. <laughs> I had it as, not a similar incident, but we lived in uh, Charlestown, Massachusetts for a while, which is a very old city in the uh, neighborhood of Boston. And our house was built in the mid-1800s. 
And I remember being in our living room and I went to plug something in to the outlet one day and I heard a pop and I heard a little, oh, oh. And I was like, what oh. the H was that? And it turned out, <laughs> bought the farm as Paul would say. <laughs> yeah. oh. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Dust to dust, <laughs> yep. literally. Um Look, we took it, we, you know, we started on such a high with talking about Mars perseverance, and now we're talking about the realities of life. And you usually say at this point, Kim, if you liked that, oh no, which I don't. <laughs> I don't. I mean, look. Uh, no, hang on. If you, you don't have you to like it, but you, you can appreciate like it. like that, oh no. So come Send up us a better one. one. Yeah. Right. I'm open. Yeah, I can yeah. take a note. <laughs> Uh, look, if you have a better non-sad, oh no, uh, please do. So. Just or non-sad sad, would hey, do. I'll take- the best ones have been mice-related. This one and the lady that put her mouse outside <laughs> to cool it down. Her peripheral, peripheral mouse. Yeah, yeah peripheral mouse. mouse. Let's be clear. Mouse. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. it would have run off. Well, I would have yep. if I were the mouse. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so of course you can send us your Onos tips at sophos.com or you can leave an anonymous comment on any of our articles or you can DM us on any of the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And uh, I've said before, I am also on Reddit. So if you want to hit up my username and DM me, it's oh no, it's Kim. O-H-N-O, it's Kim on Reddit. And... Uh, go watch the Mars rover video, Perseverance, mm-hmm. and then uh, play the band. Uh, say the name of the band again. Yuri Gagarin, the famous cosmonaut. Yes, and have an uplifting moment after that very sad oh no. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure. Dude.